the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics, where the conversation always gives you a foundation that is built on biblical principles so you can intellectually and critically learn to weigh out decisions about life with truth, facts, contradictions, and the reality we live in, and history. Host Joe Gaona covers topics like apologetics, worldviews, contemporary culture, and the Word of God to help you articulate a defense for how you live your Christian life. See how you can get involved in support Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics by visiting ThroughoutAllAgesMinistries.com That's ThroughoutAllAgesMinistries.com Joe, where is that magnifying glass? How you doing today? This is Joe Gaona with Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics. And we're here to talk about world views and does it make sense as we weigh it out on a scale of truth. And on this scale of truth, we want to put history, science, and philosophy and look at the reality that we live in, the world that we live in, and does our worldview make sense? We have been talking about for the last three weeks of how we got our Bible and the translations and the history that surrounds the Bible. We started from the first century and now we are in the beginning of 1000 AD in the second century. Last week, we talked about John Wycliffe, who wrote out the Bible for us to have it in an English translation. We ended up with them taking out his body out of the grave and actually burning his bones and throwing the ashes in the river. They were so desperate to get rid of the name John Wycliffe, and so they wanted to dig him out of the grave and burn him, his that is, his bones, and throw it in the swift river. There are those who say that after he had thrown his ashes in swift river, they say, from the ocean comes the river, and the river swims back out into the ocean, and so is John Wycliffe's words and his Bible going out to the people. While John Wycliffe was out living his life, there was a man named John Haas who was paying attention to him, was looking at him and saying, yeah, I believe in what this guy is saying. Now, John Haas, he was born in 1396 A.D. And he became a priest and a professor he was born in the city of the Czech Republic today, which it was called the Bohemians in the city of Prague. Now, during this time, there's a lot of chaos that's going on. 
you had three popes, the Western Schism, they would call it. They're all claiming to be the vicar of Christ. You had one in France, a pope in France. You had a pope in Rome and a pope in Pisa. Huss began to teach these ideals that John Cleff left behind, both in Bethlehem Chapel and the Charles University where he taught. He gained a large following in doing this. Now, John Wycliffe had said he disagreed in a lot that the popes were doing. And John Haas was right with him on this. Uh, At that time, they were doing the indulgences. He rejected indulgences. That there was a difference between repentance and working out your repentance. He agreed to the adherence of the authority of the scripture over the church. This is John Haas. He agreed that Jesus Christ is the head of the church and that God's word should be in the vernacular, in the language that all people could understand. Well, as he was promoting his ideals, he was beginning to get a name that the popes disliked. Now we find the Pope in Passa, Alexander V, issued a papal bull empowering the Archbishop over Haas to proceed against Wycliffeism in Prague. They would get all the copies of Wycliffe writings were to be gathered and destroyed and his teachings were to cease immediately. So here Huss appealed the decision to Alexander V, the Pope of Pesa, which resulted in his immediate excommunication. Now it was a strange thing because when they excommunicated you from the Catholic Church, it wasn't the end of all ends unless you actually died and you were excommunicated. It was really a start of saying, we disagree as a Pope of what you're doing. At times we believe it's a heretical and a heretic position. And so we're excommunicating you and we're going to take you to court. We're going to take it further than this. Pope John the Twenty-Third started a war against the Roman Pope. And in order to fund the fighting for this war, he actually issued a new plenary indulgence. And this indulgence would say that it doesn't matter what you do. Anything you do, as long as you paid for this plenary indulgence, you would be set to enter into the heaven gates. John Haas, he spoke out against this indulgence, arguing that the church did not have the power of the sword, but instead the power of the church was to be used only as an instrument of Christ. And these indulgence, to somehow be able to be in Christ's stead and forgive people, and even to assume that you can give them the power to enter into heaven, was an insult to John Haas. But from that point on, it didn't take long until the persecution of Haas and his followers increased to the point that now there became uh, rioting to this response of them coming after John Haas. So during this time, the Pope banned the churches of Prague from participating in the Word and the sacraments. So there was no Bible teaching going on and there were no sacraments. Well, to the people, to the peasants, 
They knew that meant there would be no Lord's Supper, there would be no baptism, there would be no marriages and last rites, ordinations, and Christian burials, and most of all, there is no forgiveness of sins without the church taking place. And as far as the Pope was concerned, the churches in Prague was closed for business. During that time, Haas felt it was better. John Haas felt it was better to to see if things would calm down if he would leave Prague and, and just hang out from the hostilities out in the countryside. But as he traveled, Haas seeing the people uneducated and even the clergy not understanding what they're talking about, he began to write articles. He began to write books or pamphlets on some of these Christian issues. So now it's 1414 AD. Now during this time we have to know that it's medieval times and there were some philosophical thinkers that were coming out with philosophical, theological answers to the questions about life, about God, about who we are, And these were called the scholastic people of the day. We had people like Anselm, who talked about the ontological argument in the existence, this maximum supreme being that we call God. You had Thomas Aquinas in 1200 AD talking about the five ways of the existence of God and gave an argument for it. As far as contingency and causality and perfection and purpose. And you even had at 1200 AD William Ockman Razor. uh, The Ockman's Razor where he said that in philosophical terms. Usually it was the easiest answer that would define a problem. So we're working our way up as John Haas would be in the middle of this, all part of this scholastic thinking. And then we started seeing the glimpses taking part, or the humanists taking part in wanting to know more about life and naturalism in itself. And we'll get back to that in a moment. So it's 414 A.D., you got three popes still, and you had the Council of Constance in Germany that was convening. And really, the Western Schism, is that's what they would call it, compared to what we talked about last week, the Great Schism. You had the Western Schism now, and it's ending in 1417. Uh, you had three popes. And was the real Pope to be found in Avignon, France, or in Rome, Italy? So the council arranged, first of all, the renouncing of the throne of both the Rome Pope George VII and the Pisa Pope John Twenty-Third, excommunicated the Avignon Pope Benedict Thirteenth, or is it Benedict Fourteenth? I forgot which one it is. And they elected Martin V as the new pope reigning in Rome. But this didn't take place until three years later from 414 and the Council of Constance. Really, their first aim now was to shut John Haas down. 
So Haas was summoned to the council to face charges of heresy. After arriving in Constance, Germany, church officials, first they treated him fairly. He went on about preaching and celebrating. But after a couple weeks, they got tired of hearing of what he was preaching about. And Haas was arrested after a few weeks of outspoken uh, rhetoric. So here we are at his trial, John Haas was afforded no defense counsel, nor did they give him any opportunity to defend his teachings. They had a list of bulls against him, 39 charges, 26 of them were from his writing, and yet he was not allowed, even though he said he didn't agree with them, he was not allowed or no explanation was given or offered for biblical correction on what he taught. You know, the the message was clear with these popes. We don't want to hear what you have to say. Submit to the authority of the church or die. You know, John Haas knew what he was getting into. As we come to the end of the first part, stay with us as we talk about how the Bible got translated and talking about John Haas and the beginnings of Erasmus. Don't go away because there is much more to come with Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics on K-Praise. Throughout All Ages Ministry 1530 Apologetics goes into the public high school to build up the student's character to intellectually think about their worldview and weigh it in truth. Studies show 75 to 85% of all college students who grew up in a Christian home are walking away from their faith. For more information about 1530 Apologetics, go to throughoutallages.com. Welcome back to Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics. And now, here's your host, Joe Gaona, on K-Praise. Thanks for being with us as we come into the second part of talking about the Bible and its translations. We're talking about John Haas. This is Joe with 1530 Apologetics, the emperor of that time had told him that he would get him there safely. But John Haas assumed that he was going to write on that paper because he hadn't received it yet, that he was going to write on that paper to get there and to get back safely. But the emperor didn't do that. The emperor just wrote for him to get there safely. And you can't do that during these times because as soon as he leaves the grounds, uh, they're aiming to get him. And so his safety was in concern during that time. But they took him before the court system right off the bat. He had no time to talk about his explanation of what was going on and what, how he felt about these doctrines and his theological stance. So on July 6, 1415, after the High Mass, Haas was led to the assembly of the church and he was asked one last time to recant what he believed in and as he refused he was uh, immediately stripped from his ornaments as a priestly office it's here that john haas falls on his knees and asks god to forgive his enemies and then he was turned over 
to the government authorities for execution. At this time, John Haas was taken to the place of execution, tied and chained to a post, and after refusing the order to recant one final time, Haas's executioners burned him at the stake. It was reported that Haas died singing, Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me. John Haas uh, was burnt at the stake at 1415 A.D. One of his last words that he said, In a hundred years, God will raise up a man whose call for reform cannot be suppressed. And we will see what takes place a hundred years later in 1516 A.D. As we see that John Haas got burned at the stake, other things were happening. In fact, if we look down at the Byzantine Empire was coming down, it was about to fall as the Ottoman Empire was being established. Muhammad II, as he took over the Byzantine Empire, he had promised his men that they could go in a pillage for three days on the Byzantine Empire for the spoils of the war that they had. We're told that the city's civilian and the inhabitants resulted in murders, rapes, 30,000 civilians being enslaved and forcibly deported. And on the third day, as the city would fall, the sultans would celebrate their victory with great triumph. And then he issued a proclamation, Muhammad issued a proclamation that the citizens of all ages who managed to escape detection, who were hiding throughout the city, that they could come out and they would be free citizens with no questions asked. He declared a restoration of houses and properties for those who had abandoned their house and their property. The Turks practiced Islam. That was their central religion. And the city was renamed Istanbul. So in 1453, that gives us like 30 years after John Haas was burned at the stake. So we just had the three Pope. We had Byzantine Empire coming down. The Haggai Sophia being taken over and becoming a mosque for the Islam Turkish Ottomans. It was during this time in 1450 that Johann Gutenberg invented the printing press to move forward. That from this point on, from John Haas forward, people would not have to just keep on printing and printing to be able to print out Bibles by hand, but they would be printed by the printing press. That was in 1450 A.D. And his first book to ever be printed was a Latin language Bible printed by Mainz from Germany. We find in 1496, John Colette, another Oxford professor, started reading the New Testament from the Greek. So they were translating the Greek language into English for the students of Oxford. And then later, he would begin to read it in English to the public, especially at the St. Paul's Cathedral in London. And the people were so hungry to hear the Word of God in their language that in six months, he would have 20,000 people packed in the church 
that wanted to hear the word of God in their vernacular in the English language. Things are pressing forward as God would have his hand through all the turmoil, through all the perversion. You find God would have his hand on the church. In 1466 to 1469, you had Erasmus of Rotterdam, Holland. His father, Roger Gerard, was a priest, and his mother was named Margaret. We know that the name Erasmus means beloved. Back then, by four years old, in 1470, Erasmus began his education in the Gouda town in Rotterdam in a school there. When he was nine years old, his father sent him to a prestigious Latin grammar school. In his early education, he actually went and spent time at the Brethren of Common Life Church School in Deventer, a religious community based on simple emulation of Christ. Being Christ-like, to look like Christ, was their endeavor in this Brethren of Common Life Church School. And as the money would run out, as the inheritance would run out for Erasmus, he decided to join the Augustine Monastery. He went into the monastery life, pretty much forced into it because of poverty. And yet he was there, and this is where he was ordained a Catholic priest. By 1492, he became a priest, and he was sent to Paris to study theology. By 32 years old, he learned Greek as he would study it for three years, day and night. Something we know of his priesthood that Erasmus never had to do his duties as a priest as he got this allotment from a pope that he wouldn't have to do his priestly duties. And so he became the secretary to Bishop of Cabria. So we know Erasmus in 1487 became a priest by 1492. Well, let's put it this way. He professed his vows in 1487 and by 1492 became a priest. And it's here that Erasmus took the consecrated vows of a monk at the cannery of Stein in Holland. We know that Erasmus studied of the pagan classics. And he loved what they called the Renaissance humanism, which really wanted to refute metaphysic philosophical ideals of the scholastic system that would answer the systems of who is God, who are we, epistemology, how do we know things for certain, ontology. And so Erasmus would get caught up in this Renaissance of humanism. And as Erasmus would become frustrated with his fellow monks, he wrote a book that was called The Book Against the Barbarians, published, or say it was unpublished until 1522. Here he would attack the members of the religious order. Now as secretary to the Pope, Erasmus's life changed dramatically as the secretary of Henry de Burgeon, Bishop of Chambra. You see, the Bishop of Champra, Henry, was impressed with his skill in Latin. And it's here that, 
as I said before, Erasmus received a special dispensation from the Pope to give up his monastic vows, and this dispensation was later made permanently by Pope Leo X. And this was a rare privilege. They usually didn't do these types of dispensations. So instead of being a monk during this time, Erasmus would travel to Paris, France, to study classical literature and Latin. He also spent a few years in the College of de Montego at the University of Paris. But he didn't stay there long as he would get frustrated once again with the university life. Many established lords of the day, many people with wealth, would give Erasmus pensions or money allowing him to just adopt this independent scholar life from city to city, touring, lecturing, and corresponding with some of the most brilliant thinkers of Europe. In 1499, even at 33 years old, on his first trip to England, he met Thomas More and John Collette. He traveled to England, Italy, Basel, and Switzerland. And then we see by 1499, almost 1500 AD, that he spends the next 10 years in France, the Netherlands, and England writing some of his best works. In the 1500s, he wrote books like the Adagio, the collection of Greek and Latin proverbs from the classics. He wrote the handbook of the Christian soldier. And then he wrote in 1503 the Incaridian, a guide to Christian living. The last book that we see that he took during this time, the early 1600s, is The Praise of Folly, a satire examination of society and the abuses of the church. Hey, I thank you for being a part of us as we start talking about Erasmus and him writing the King James Version of the Bible. This is Joe with 1530 Apologetics. And we'll see you next week. That's a take. And this has been Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics. You can learn more about your host, Joe Gaona, how to support and get involved with 1530 Apologetics by visiting ThroughoutAllAgesMinistries.com. That's ThroughoutAllAgesMinistries.com. 1530 Apologetics is vigorously setting the pace to give easy answers to hard questions in the culture we live in. So be sure to join Joe at this same time next week for more biblical principles to help you intellectually and critically learn to weigh out decisions about life with truth, facts, contradictions, the reality we live in, and history. This has been Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics on K-Praise.